HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. I'm Sam Edwards. I'm third generation cure master from S. Wallace Edwards and Sons in Surrey, Virginia. We support the Heritage Radio Network because we believe in the cause and what they're doing. They're supporting family-raised livestock, small family farms, uh, certified humane, pasture-raised, antibiotic-free. Basically, we take the products from Heritage Foods USA and make them into uh, Serrano-style hams, prosciutto-style hams, bacon, sausage, like my grandfather did. You can find us at Surrey Farms. Dot com or virginiatraditions.com Welcome to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Here today in the studio with the infamous Loda Jansdotter. Did I say that right? Kind of? Kind of. Or the very Brooklyn way, Jan's daughter. <laughs> J-A-N-S-D-O-T-T-E-R. And her wonderful, generally best person, uh, studio manager, Narissa Campbell. Okay. <laughs> Thank you both for being in the studio. Now... I don't even remember how I first came across Lota, but I know that my girlfriend now has her whole bag collection spanning, I don't know, maybe five years. So I stop in the studio maybe uh, once, twice, thrice a year, uh, see whatever new collection you have, and we end up always talking about food. Yes. So much so that I think it was two to three years ago, we had you in Edible Brooklyn as our In the Kitchen with and explored your fridge and your cookbooks and your eating habits. Um most recently, uh, I traded books with you and received your Handmade Living from Chronicle, which is a completely amazing craft book. But a third of it is pretty much devoted to cooking and has a whole bunch of recipes at the end. And I just want people to get a sense of how your design uh, and your eating habits and food influences all come together and kind of amalgamate. Well, let's try to figure that out. <laughs> I'm not yeah, sure myself. Yeah, I mean, let's you get one it. word to sum up the whole thing. 
Well, let, let's talk a little bit about where you grew up. Mm-hmm. I grew up, um, well, I'm born on this island um, that's located in between Finland and Sweden, right in the Baltic Sea. And it's a fairly small island. And that's, uh, I was there until I was about six, I think. And then I moved to Stockholm. And that's when I say I grew up. I I've usually say Stockholm, Sweden, because yeah. that's where I went to school. But every summer and every holiday, you know, and breaks I had from school, I was on the island because dad was there. And then eventually, um, uncles and my cousins and brothers, whatnot, who lived in Stockholm, moved back to the island. So and most of my what's fa- the island called? Orland. Orland. I failed to say that. Yeah, A L A N D. Orland. Yeah, Orland. So. Initially being born and raised uh, on the island and then moving to Stockholm, what was the biggest difference you saw in food in general? Well, on Orland, you have an influence from Finnish food. Um, I think it's mo- most noticeable for me on the on the Christmas table because it's it's culturally comes forth. We have much more um, casseroles uh, from on Orland, which I think feels very much more Finnish and sort of like. Uh, Russian yeah. that part of the world and and um, the pickle herring stuff we both have but it's mostly those casseroles that comes to mind turnip casserole carrot casserole potato casserole like all kinds of casseroles <laughs> um, so so that's the biggest excellent we're definitely going to get back to casserole as there is one with a uh, potato and anchovies in the book oh, oh yeah called um, uh, Janssen Temptation Janssen's Temptation and I want to yeah. figure out who Janssen is and why he's so tempted uh Oh, I wish I had a really brilliant answer yeah. for well, you. I'll, I'll, let you th- th- <laughs> I'll let you think about that and we'll come back. But I also want to explore Nerissa's background. Uh, in one line, Australian singer comes to New York, who <laughs> works for Scandinavian designer. I know, yeah. it's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you grew up in Australia. I do. Whereabouts? I'm from Perth in Western Australia. So, you know, the people are always smiling, the sun's always shining. We're by the beach, there's a lot of seafood and chips yeah why why are you here then that sounds kind of (laughs) idyllic (laughs) it is it's so far away from everything it's officially the most isolated capital city in the world and it really feels like it so it's great to go home and be amongst that isolation but as a musician you know you kind of outgrow it a little bit yeah so do you miss uh your cuisine or do you find any of it here in brooklyn i know there's like five leaves over oh, in Greenpoint. I believe Ooh. it is Australian. Really? Yeah, yeah. I've never been there. Well, I'll have to go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, mm, I don't miss it so much. There are like specific things that I can get in New York. Like I, I miss fish and chips and I have not found a really good fish and chips place here yet. So if anyone knows, yeah. please let me know. <laughs> um, and then I also sometimes really miss uh, meat pies and sausage rolls. So I taught myself how to make yeah. those. <laughs> I've seen a couple like things pop up, like yeah. Tuck Shop, and but yeah. they're not quite there for you. Not quite. Yeah, but she makes them. She makes really good ones. I've had them. <laughs> she brings them to work. So, <laughs> so aside from learning about Lotus Design and Nerissa uh, keeping it all together, um, the food that's in the studio, or mu- that must come through the studio, or the food talk must like take precedence at some times. It we, does. We talk about food a yeah. lot. <laughs> <laughs> we like food, yeah. <laughs> well, it is that culinary exchanges that, you know, we. she talks about her. We talk a lot about where we're from and how we relate to each other or not, or cultural, you know, how we, when we grew up as kids. And we have a lot of fun at work, actually, yeah. talking a lot. And food comes up often. Mm-hmm. And since Nerissa, she also writes about food and her food heritage 
on a blog. Uh, Which is Bessie Pearl's Ledger. It is. Yes. <laughs> Named after her, your grandmother? My great-grandmother, great actually. Yeah. 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 She's from the, um, the gold fields in Western Australia. Uh, and uh, I inherited a book of her recipes. Well, they're not really recipes. They're just ingredients, handwritten in pencil. So yeah. this book is falling apart. The pages are, you know, ripping, and it's yellow, and um, and it'll say cornies, and it'll just have a list of ingredients, nothing about how to <laughs> bake them or anything. So I've been exploring what these things are because yeah. I have no idea. So that's been really interesting and fun hopefully sharing a meat pie recipe in the near future yes the chutney the chutney was amazing yeah (laughs) (laughs) really really good what i found such a great parallel was that in the book uh you describe your design your scandinavian style as uh, simple functional unpretentious do you think the food that you know you grew up eating or around is quite equivalent to you know those descriptors yeah, I, I guess there's, well, I don't know, like boiled potatoes and meatballs and yeah. sauce. I mean, that's kind of what I think of when I think of Swedish childhood food. And um, and it's not until recently, when I was a kid, we didn't have a lot of uh, nice vegetables and special things and exotic fruits or not. And that has come now in the last 10 years. So I would say it was pretty bare bones and simple and... But then you smoke your own salmon. See, that's <laughs> and then you pickle and things. You pickle the and we pickle things. It. So that's where I was like, okay, so there is some some steps there that are not completely, you know, it takes a little bit of science or a yeah. little bit so of so tasty. Because yeah. in the book, you actually have a gravlax recipe. Yeah, but that is that is incredibly easy to yeah. make. Yeah, it's just you have to get the proportion right to the fish. But otherwise than that, it's super simple to make. Yeah. But I kind of made this thing. I my dad is a fisherman, and I I. I learned this from him how to do it i watched him every every christmas making this thing so kind of to keep up the tradition i call him every christmas to ask him for <laughs> yeah. the recipe and he's like but you know this already but oh, oh, oh you know he, he loves it he I, loves I it wish when we i call him and advise had, him i wish we could have had you call him right now <laughs> yeah. on air just so the recite but i mean what is you must have this memorized unless you keep on forgetting every year just i kind of forget well it's equal amount of sugar to uh, to salt yeah and you just combine those and then you have lots and lots of dill that's basically it. <laughs> and then I don't remember exactly the ratio to the kilo of the fish. Yeah. I do forget those things. Yeah. I, I have it written up, of course, but I, I do forget. And, and But I'd like to call dad and sort of yeah. ask him oh, for advice. Awesome. You know, he, he likes it. He and, likes to be. And the meatballs. Meatballs. Uh, grandma comes to mind, my mom's mom. She's definitely the one that set the standard uh, in my family. I improvise on that a little bit here and there, but... Um, you know, not a lot of garlic. It's very just, uh, what, what do you call that? Uh, uh, allspice we put in yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. And egg, uh, really good breadcrumbs. I have a problem finding bare bones breadcrumbs in my neighborhood. <laughs> um, but and, um, a little bit of cream, it's good. How close are Ikea's meatballs to that of your childhood? Not at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I call them like cardboard yeah. balls. Uh, but they do, they do hit. Uh, in 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 a rush, they do hit uh, the spot. Yeah, I I, I was just there not to. Not yeah, to but it's it. it's funny. Like IKEA has done a disservice in the sense that people think that is Swedish food. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's so much more to explore that's lighter and brighter and uh, you know well made. Yeah. Um, so I'm hoping that people actually start researching this a little bit more and bring it to the states. Yeah. Um, 
because I, I noticed in kind of the index of the back of the book that you did give a couple places of where to buy foods of Sweden. Uh, Northerner.com, uh, Swedenbest.com, mm-hmm. Ikea for a couple things. Yeah, yeah, it's it's hard. They're, yeah. they're not like anything general or big out there. They're small specialty places like prom- probably someone who derived from Sweden at some point or they have a, you know, grandfather's father or something yeah. that came from there. So, um I I don't I don't, is there anything here in New York because I don't even know I get um, that question a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's funny, it's like. more Nordic Nordic Deli out in Bay Ridge, mm-hmm. um, and then a good strip of Bay Ridge used to be called Little Norway, but Swedish specific there's Leske, and yeah. it's the only place. It's a bakery out in Bay Ridge. Yeah, but yeah, I don't know. I sort of do cafeteria style. And I find a couple of things here and there. I found some really wonderful Finnish yeah. rye breads at Union Market. Yeah, and then I find the lingonberries in some other market, and then I find some herring that kind of reminds me of the one at home. So I sort of do this cafeteria style of, of finding my supplies. Yeah. Around. <laughs> well, I mean, what is the biggest difference between Swedish and Finnish food? Um, well, I don't know. I can't speak so much for Finland, actually, because I haven't... Yeah. <laughs> even though I'm a Finnish citizen, I <laughs> yeah. haven't been there very often. Um, I hope I mean, that we, doesn't get you in trouble passport-wise by saying uh, you haven't been there in a while. <laughs> it definitely shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. Um... The biggest differences uh, at this point, um, I wonder if if you know immigration has uh, influenced. Originally, I don't know. I don't know if we go back a hundred years. It probably looked very very similar, except for the casseroles, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know where that di- diverted, uh, but. Um, I think now Swedish food and and how or how, more so how people are cooking in Swedish is influenced by immigration. You know, we have a bigger immigration in Sweden than they do in Finland. They don't allow as many people in yeah. every year legally. So, um, so I think that will affect uh, cuisine. Yeah, that been flow. Of Traditionally, I I don't know actually. I mean, it's just not to knock any Finnish people because I don't know it that well either. But from what I've seen of Swedish food, it's a lot more simple. Mm-hmm. There's pierogskis, yeah. like that kind of stuff, and we don't have that in, yeah. in Sweden. Yeah, and it's a lot brighter and fresher, and yeah. uses of pickling and yeah, a lot of sausages yeah. in Finland. I'm right? gonna get so many angry emails from the Finnish. <laughs> it's gonna be fine. <laughs> Rain, <laughs> deer meat, but that's in northern Sweden too. Yeah. So hmm. interesting. Um, it's amazing that we've talked about food and not about design at all, because inherently you are a designer. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> this is a food job. Yeah. But uh, your, your design is very much influenced by food. Uh, you say in your book that you started by even potato printmaking mm-hmm. and simple sewing. What, mm-hmm. what exactly is potato printmaking? Well, I... Um, well, I would say when I first started as a designer, I it wasn't really inspired by food. If I I'm going to correct that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the last few years, it's become more and more obvious that um, what I do is inspire other people how to be creative. And when we talk about printing on fabrics, one of the very very simple ways of printing on fabric is printing with potatoes. Yeah, and I just want people to. Uh, get started on something and just start creating so the potato printing is something that you probably most likely have done as a kid and i just want to show people that this is actually something you can do in a nice way it doesn't have to look slobby and 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 childlike and crazy it can be really really nice so i mean it's kind of what led you to stenciling later on 
Um, yes and no. They kind of go hand in hand. It was just exploring printing yeah. in general. But I was just at the store the other day with August, my four-year-old, and um, I wanted to print with peppers with him because peppers, you know, they have a really good shape. Yeah. So when you cut them cross-section, they just have this innate flower pattern kind of. Yeah. So, and I wanted to explore that with him. But I bought the peppers, but I lost them. So <laughs> I don't know if I actually brought them with me or not, so I never got to do it. But it's on the list of things to do. And he was really into it. He was really excited. So he was very sad when we didn't have the peppers. <laughs> But um, but yeah, you can. It's it's great. You can really do really nice things with all kinds of vegetables. Yeah. The cabbage, mm, print with cabbage halves. Marissa, how much printed vegetable matter do you have at the <laughs> office that you end up either sweeping up or taking home? <laughs> <laughs> um, it depends if there's a class going on. If there's a class, there's rather a lot of potatoes left yeah. over. Um, oh, so you actually do workshops and classes mm-hmm. at. Oh, uh, in the studio, in yeah. The studio. Yeah, which is super fun to see how everyone carves their <laughs> vegetables. Yeah. <laughs> and I always want to keep them because I think that's a really interesting thing about potato printing and vegetable printing is that you can't keep this thing. Like, it's going to rot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you might have made this beautiful design right. and it's just sort of there for for that moment and uh, and then it's sort of like, you know, digested or yeah. something you know it's, it's gone and you've just got yeah. this artwork that lives for that moment that's mm. kind of cool just yeah. having that temporal nature of design yeah. with everything We're so easily people to live in the moment yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well i mean really. it also shows in design that there is whimsy and that there is you know this this energy and movement to it playfulness you know if anything you know we i I'm a control freak in so many things of what I do and what my finished results should be like. And I'm very, very particular about the end result. But through that, we talk so much about process and that, you know, work and life and what you do and making art should be fun. It should be fun and not so many people take it so seriously and they sort of get frozen up and scared, even just printing <laughs> around potato print. Like, what What am I supposed to do? They, it gets too analyzed and, and people sort of get stuck in there. We try to sort of say, hey, just play with it. Have fun with it. Yeah, Don't and bring it back to its core, to this naturalism. Uh-huh. I mean, by using something as simple as a potato. <laughs> yeah. But we're going to take a quick little fica. Am I saying that correctly? Fika. Fika, and then come back (laughs) and talk about what Fika is. (laughs) But in the meantime, during the break, we're going to hear a little bit of Nerissa's music uh, from her website, crookedmouthmusic.com. We'll be right back. Living behind Keep the pain in 
This is a public service announcement from Heritage Radio Network. Tune in to the main course Sundays at 12 p.m. with hosts Patrick Martins and Katie Kiefer. They examine issues from the interconnected worlds of agriculture, cuisine, and sustainability. They sit down with key players in the chain from producer to consumer, farmers, distributors, chefs, activists, and journalists. The main course explores every important component of the eating experience, how the farmers raise their product, the distribution channels that move the product, how the chefs prepare it, and how ethics and policy affect everyone involved. Again, that's the main course, Sundays at noon, on the Heritage Radio Network. And we're back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. You were just listening to Nerissa Campbell's. What was the name of that song? That song's called Bars. On CrookedMouthMusic.com, correct. And she was saying it's kind of a rainy day music album, but <laughs> I think it's a sunshiny cocktail on a beach thing, too. Excellent. I, I would be happy if anyone wanted to listen to it any time. Yeah, we're not like. limited to those two weather conditions. <laughs> no. Anytime. Exactly. Anytime. Uh, FICA, correct? Fika. Fika. Damn it. Yeah, Fika. I feel like that means something different. Yeah. I'm not quite sure. Am I sure cursing without it? knowing? <laughs> nah. In no. some language, I yeah. bet you are. So, uh, what exactly is it? It's a coffee break. Fika is almost like a, uh, it's a, it's an institution. It's, it's, it's very important in Sweden. And it's, it's not something that you spell out. It happens all the time. Yeah. In the morning, you can have it. Uh, after lunch, you can go and have a fika or you meet your friends after work, have a fika or together with if you have your kids, you're going out to have a fika, meaning a coffee break. Yeah. And we do drink a lot of coffee in Sweden, but it could also mean having a soda or a sandwich or, you know, have usually have something with it. But um, coffee is, uh, it's, it's, it's part of it. Yeah. So yeah. do you fika a lot at the office? We try to. Yeah. Yeah. We, we're a little conflicted, actually, because sometimes uh, when I go to Sweden, <laughs> yeah. I drink a lot of coffee. I can't help it. And then in our office, we, we go, we have, you know, we have a new great pie place. We didn't used to have anything yeah. around our neighborhood. Because you're in we the Gowanus We were thinking we would start a coffee shop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have looked into that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because there was nothing. And we're like, oh my gosh, we would do bank. And it would be so nice to sort of have a coffee shop and sort of do the lifestyle thing. Yeah. Just sort of do what the book is in a way. Yeah. Just serve coffee and have people come in and do workshops and then buy stuff. But not. But anyway. So fika, do we fika? I guess we don't fika as much as we should. I think about fika a lot. Yeah. It comes but, up. But yeah. Um, but yeah, the pie place down the road is so dangerous. Yeah. What, and they have good coffee there. You are down the road from 4 and 20 4 and black, 20 black. That guys. is dangerous. So, yeah. so oh. every now and then we're like, okay, it's time for fika. Let's yeah. do it. <laughs> yeah. That's a wonderful excuse to go <laughs> eat pie. Um, you also introduced me uh, to the Swedish church in Midtown. Oh, yeah. Now, is that a fika kind of place? Definitely. And people pop in. And it's it's so nice there because you have, they're in this bustling area. Uh, it's Broadway in 48th or 47th? I don't so, remember. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's in Midtown. Midtown's just kind of a, you know, vortex to me sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And it's full of life, full of people, full of craziness. And you walk in through this door and it's so peaceful and quiet in there. And it's an interesting building because the church is in three floors so mm -hmm. when you first walk in you walk into this library and then in the back of the library there's um 
where you can buy coffee and Swedish sweets and sandwiches, anchovy sandwiches with eggs, yeah. which is just amazing. And you read papers, and there's like rustling papers and <laughs> calm talking and a lot of dunking of cinnamon buns and coffee. That's what I was going to say, mm-hmm. cinnamon buns. Mm-hmm. Uh, you sent me for, and it changed my life. <laughs> uh, I mean, I stop every once in a while when I wander on that street, wherever it is in Midtown at the mm-hmm. Swedish church. Um, but, I mean, it is traditional of Sweden. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what makes them different than the cinnamon buns you see here in the States? They don't, we don't have, we, and at Ikea too, they have that like sugar coating glazing thing. Yeah. I don't get that. I no. don't understand. There's little pearled sugar or something. It, we have pearled sugar and it's much more cinnamon and they're a little bit hardier and they're not as fluffy. And uh, we have cardamom in them. Yeah. I don't know that. You no, have that. I don't think so. So, no. so many differences. In other words, it's nothing like a cinnamon roll no, here. No, but Maybe say it's so they should much call better. it something else <laughs> yeah. so people don't get confused. Well, what's it called in Swedish? <laughs> but you should call it something else in America. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, we have the cinnamon buns. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. What were you asking? What, what's it called in Swedish? Kanelbulle. Yeah, I'm not going to be able to order it like Ooh. that. Kanelbulle. Kanelbulle. Nope. Not too shabby. <laughs> Go and stop by the Swedish church. Uh, it's open to the public, right? It definitely. I don't know. There, there are specific hours. I don't think they open that early. Uh, but uh, so check before you go. They they do have a website. So, but it's definitely open for the public. So I wanted to get back to this casserole. <laughs> yeah. I can't stop thinking it. Uh, Jansen's temptation. Jansen's temptation. I don't know where it, why it's called that. All I know is that my dad's name is Jansson, and we're joking about that all the time, of course, because he's the one who makes the casserole yeah. as well. So it's his temptation. But, um, you know, culturally, why is it called? The, I don't know. <laughs> and so, it's just potato and anchovy. So you cut the potatoes in strips sort of like the same way you would do uh, pomf- uh, pan- uh, French fries. Yeah. And then you have chopped onion that you've been pan frying in butter first. And then you have anchovies. So you layer the potatoes with your onions and then anchovies. And then you pour a you're supposed to pour cream, but I do half and half. Yeah. And then lots of butter and then fresh breadcrumbs on top. And it's really, really good for your Christmas table, but it's also delicious. Um, we have something called vikning, which is a, a meal that you have specifically late at night, usually more like after a lot of drinking. So sort of, you know, when you get like you had dinner, you've done a bunch of drinking and then you're getting a little hungry again. <laughs> it's time for a vikning. So. How do you spell that? Vikning. V. I C K N I N J Vikning, yeah. Okay, I'm gonna probably Vikning tonight. Vik- <laughs> <laughs> Wonder if that comes something from the Vikings. Yeah, that's know. what I say. It feels like a very Viking thing. Um, but there was one other uh, recipe that I really wanted to touch on mm. because uh, it feels like a misnomer for most Americans to read about Sunday pancakes. Mm. Um, which is more rice pudding than it is actual pancake. So that pancake recipe, that's a very specific, and as far as I know, recipe just for Orland. Um, it's using leftovers from, from rice porridge, basically, and then making it into a, a, like a pan pancake. Yeah. It's called pancake. It really doesn't really feel like a pancake. Yeah. But, um, and lots of cardamom in it. And basically, you're just using your leftovers and not getting rid of anything, and you make it into something sweeter and nicer the next day. Yeah. And use usually you can eat it with um, raspberry jam or this uh, puree sort of um, thing that you made out of uh, prunes. Yeah. 
which is like the old-fashioned way of making it. And that's how my dad's mom used to make it, and that's what I remember. It sounds more like a dessert than it does a breakfast, though. It is more of a dessert yeah. thing. And, yeah. and traditionally... That's, I think most breakfasts these yeah. days, yeah. <laughs> the good ones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they ate it for lunch, like the old former. They ate it actually just as lunch food because it's very heavy. They had it as lunch food as well. And somehow our wedding, which we had on the island, me and my husband, another tradition is to have a little piece of that with a shot of vodka and that's how you greeted your guests uh, yeah. for before the ceremony before dinner you had a, a shot of that you sort of i guess you sort of gr- did some groundwork in your belt <laughs> <laughs> so you know to set it set you off on the right note um drinking glog uh, is it schnapps as well we oh, snaps snaps yeah. snaps we do a lot of snapsing yeah we'll find any excuse to do so we yeah. have a lot of holidays once again and we have we drink snaps at midsummer's eve for christmas and we also have the crayfish party uh, in august Ooh, when is mm-hmm. that august uh, is the season for doing that and we swedes love to sing and drinking songs is very, very big. So yeah. any excuse to sort of sing a song, because that means you can have another snaps. <laughs> Do you have Narissa often serenading you after a couple snaps? No. <laughs> Maybe you haven't given me enough snaps. <laughs> <laughs> what? I may have just gotten you drunk tonight, and you may be vickening oh, tonight no. because of that. So you're welcome. <laughs> I think there's harder things in life than schnapps and snaps and vickening. Yeah. Um, so we t- we're talking about Sweden, we're talking a little bit about Australia, but then there are two other locations, in one in this country and one in this world, that really influenced your design, uh, mm. Japan, oh, yeah. and travels mm. throughout your life, and San Fran, mm-hmm. which you lived for many years. Right. Uh, do those still affect your design and food habits? I think Japan is still very prominent. I still work with Japan with my design work, and I have some licensing work that I do with them. and which means that I create patterns and motifs and then I might be working with some designers there to format it and suggest colors, whatnot, and together we work, uh, we develop a collection. And they can suggest some really interesting things sometimes that I would have not thought of, which is great. It's really fun. And they have a very different um, aesthetic. Um, So definitely, I think Japan influences me in so many ways. Going there to eat, that truly is like, eating artwork mm-hmm. it's amazing it's beautifully presented it, the, the, the sense of detail is amazing and anything they serve it on the platters it's a feast it's the feast for the eyes and i can't take enough pictures usually yeah. when i'm there it's amazing yeah and uh san francisco i feel when i lived in san francisco which much more mellow which i feel like such a san francisco <laughs> word i don't even use that when i'm here um my designs were a little bit calmer and sweeter and 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 sunnier and now they're getting a little bit more i i think uh bolder and stronger in color and 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 a little bit different yeah yeah so the metropolis has changed you i think so a little bit yeah that's fascinating um once again, just go to, is it johnsdotter.com, J-A-N-S-D-O-T-T-E-R.com. Mm-hmm. Yep. Check out all of Lota's work, uh, because we're going to keep on going on food here. We're not even going to talk about design, it seems. <laughs> <laughs> your kitchenwares and your tools, the collections there with, how much do you have in the kitchen, in the studio, and what are some of your favorites? Because, I mean, you care about patterns on plates and napkins. and Of course, yeah. I, I care a lot about tools and kitchen supplies. And if we had more space, I would have more yeah. <laughs> things. Um, 
I have very strong visions of shelves, shelves and shelves and shelves full of uh, plates and vessels and bowls. I also do ceramic design and I love throwing and I like hand building. And this is really what feeds my soul is these things. I like pretty, pretty items and I like that they're functional and I can eat pretty meals out of them. So um, I have a lot of that I collected. Uh, we have a little kitchenette or what do you call it, a pantry, whatnot, in the studio. And there's there's some really nice mugs there from Sweden and from flea markets and from wherever I go, Japan. So very important. Excellent. Have you ever outfitted a restaurant? No. I'd be happy to do that, though. Anytime. Okay. We'll, t- we'll talk in a couple <laughs> years. Yeah. Anytime. All right. All right. I call dibs if anyone's listening. Loda's going to help us out. Yeah. Um, yeah. All this food, all this wares. Let's talk a tiny bit about design. How many uh, food-influenced or very organic shapes are you using? I mean, are you using, like, fruit as uh, symbols? Are you using flowers? or Flowers. Yeah. Mostly it's been flowers and plants, and I'm inspired by nature that way. Um, I've done a strawberry design, and quite recently I did a lemon. Yeah. And there was then a, there was a, a pear. Plum. And a plum showed yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> a little plum. Oh, the pear. It turned it into pe- a pear. You know, it was more a plum that became a pear. <laughs> um, it was very cute. I have to say, I had a studio visit from from this couple. From um, They lived here in America for a good over 10 years, but they had two daughters with them They from Japan. And we were just looking at different work of mine, and they were really interested in, in my... Uh, lemon design and the plum design and it turned out that the two girls were actually called lemon leaf and and pear leaf and i'm just working (laughs) on making these designs it was kind of one of those things where i'm like wow that's kind of weird yeah but um yeah it was very cute awesome uh (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah where do you think (laughs) craziness um there there are so many things about your aesthetic um, about the way you go about, you know, living life and eating that are, like you said before, very in the moment. What is the next moment? Where does Loda go as far as design and food next? <clears throat> well, what's on my mind quite a lot right now is uh, this upcoming summer, which is a really big deal for me because I'm I'm turning 40 and we're going to have a big celebration at home on Orland together with my family. And we're going to, on this beautiful piece of land that uh, we have, a very small plot, but we're going to build a big, big picnic table. We're not going to be able to build a house, but yeah. we're going to build the table. And I want to have a really nice feast and just sort of everyone will help out, build this table. I have some really handy brothers, uh, skilled. Uh, everyone can make things in, yeah. in Scandinavia in one way or another. And this table is going to come about and I hope that it will seat about 14, 16 people and it will be a permanent table sitting on the cliffs by the water. And I will serve a feast there. And I, I'm not quite sure what it's going to be yet. Yeah. Some sort of picnic format. Because yeah. I, I'm not going to have a house or a kitchen or anything like that. So. <laughs> but you're going to have a table. We're going to have a table. Yeah. It's going to be set nicely. Yeah. It's going to have nice bowls and yeah. good food and, and good people and music. So. Yeah. And uh, I guess first comes the table, then comes the house. But a table sometimes feels <laughs> enough like uh, a residence or place to be that... Yeah. You, don't, you don't always need that roof over your head. Yeah, I kind of quite like this. I'm yeah. really happy about how it's coming about and, and, and the gathering. And you said your father's a fisherman and does his gravlocks and you call mm-hmm. him for uh, recipes all the time. Who else is pitching in as far as cooking goes? My uncle picked up, um, he's making this special bread. This is also a very Oland 
specialty. I can't find it anywhere else in Scandinavia. It's called hemvete, and it's a special kind of bread. It's almost like a pizza. It doesn't taste it like a pizza, it's, yeah. uh, but it looks like a pizza bread, and you use these long, long wooden ladles to push it into the oven. Um, and he is really, really, he's perfected that recipe, and he's really good at making them. So he usually brings that to any sort of wedding or gathering or birthday. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's very generous that way. So he will most likely pitch in with that. And then we have some smoked fish. We have fish. Other, my brothers also are hunters, and, and they, well, my nephew shot his first deer when he was nine, I think. <laughs> so we have a lot of venison and that we can tap into. There's yeah. a lot of fridges, uh, freezers all over the the island that are filled with venison because you have a lot of meat and you have yeah. to find somewhere to place it. Yeah. So they call up their friends and like, hey, can I store it in your <laughs> freezer? So That's so, fantastic. Yeah. So I, I can just picture it now, um, how serene an environment that will be. But if you ever find yourself in Holland uh, and you need a table by the cliff <laughs> looking over the ocean... <laughs> Ask for Lota. She may not be able to house you, mm-hmm. but at least she'll be able to feed you. <laughs> so I wish everybody a uh, good Fekka and uh, Vikni. And thank you again, Narissa and Lota, for being on the show. Oh, it was Thanks. a pleasure. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, <laughs> check out for her actual design implements. <laughs> and uh, I hope you enjoyed listening to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. And uh, listen in Tuesdays, 3 p.m. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. This is Behind the Scenes Food News with Katie Kiefer. This week, I came across a new website from the American Meat Institute and the American Meat Scientists Association. It's called www.meatmythcrushers.com. It is purports to be addressing consumer concerns about additives such as sodium nitrates in your, um, you know, ham and turkey roll and whatever, and animal welfare and food safety. I noticed as I went through the uh, Meat Myth Crushers website, however, that it did not address anything like uh, subtherapeutic uh, antibiotic use in the meat chain. So um, I'm not sure how many myths they intend to crush. But, you know, as I say, always say, it's good to know what the opposition is thinking. And if you want to be fair about any uh, issues around the food scene, it's wise to keep up with their press as well as ours. That's it for Behind the Scenes Food News with Katie Kiefer. Nicole Taylor is always the first to talk with new and exciting personalities in the food world on her show, Hot Grease. Check out a little clip. Everything is super sweet in the Heritage Radio Network studios today. We're chatting with Fanny Gerson. Fanny is a graduate of the Culinary Institute of America and the 2011 James Beard Foundation Cookbook Award nominee. Oh, my God. We fry in bed style. We have to talk dough. 
donuts. I'm going to have to say, Fanny, I don't know if you know this. I was definitely the first person in Brooklyn to start talking about donuts. Did you know that? I, I knew that last time I saw you. Ah. But I didn't know that before. So we have to talk dough. I mean, it, it is it is a bona fide phenomenon in Brooklyn. Uh, I'm so excited to be part of it. I, and I can't believe it. <laughs> you know? I mean, I was just telling you before the show that uh, I think about a month ago, I went to dough on a Sunday at 2 o'clock and all the donuts You like what you hear? You can hear Hot Grease every Monday at 3.30 p.m. live on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast or check it out in our archives.